Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we're going to be examining the mind, not as an object of reality, but as an illusion, as a myth. With me is Mr. U.G. Krishnamurti, a philosopher and world traveler. U.G. is the author of several books based on his conversations. One is called The Mystique of Enlightenment, and the other is Mind is a Myth. He's sometimes thought of as an anti-guru, as a man who defies all definition, as a reluctant sage. Welcome, Eugene. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. In your thinking, if I can call it that, you, you seem to suggest that, that the mind isn't real in, in the sense that there's no mind separate from the body. Is, is that yes. fair? What is there is only the body. Um, so where is mind? If there is a mind, is it separate from or distinct from the activity of the brain? So, the, the, it's very difficult uh, to deal with the question of mind, you see, we are only familiar with the definitions. Mm -hmm. the, the topic is mind is a myth, but uh, the series you have here is called the thinking aloud. Thinking aloud or silently brings into the picture a very fundamental question. What thinking is and why do we think? These questions arise from the assumption that the thoughts are self-generated and spontaneous. But actually, the brain is only a reactor, not a creator. It is very difficult to accept this because we have for centuries been made to believe or brainwashed. That is very difficult to accept my statement that there, is, that there are no thoughts at all. Well, you seem to be taking a position which we would categorize as being very materialistic and very mechanistic, that the brain is nothing more than a machine or a computer. It is actually a computer, but we are not ready to accept it. For centuries, we have been made to believe that there is an entity, there is an I, that there is a self, that there is a psyche, that there is a mind, and so on. A soul, so what, to speak. Soul, or spirit. Mm -hmm. If you accept the fact it may not be a fact to you, we may not uh, accept it, we will most probably reject it, and most people will not hesitate to reject that there is uh, no such thing as a soul, and soul is created by the thinking of man. We have been fed on this kind of a bunk for centuries, uh, the diet were to be changed, we would all die of starvation. Well, we have many words for things that are intangible. We talk about love or honesty or integrity as if they were real objects, and, and yet they're not objects so much as, as qualities or processes. I, I'm afraid we are drifting away from the basic question. Mm -hmm. uh, if you do not want a thing, is there a thinking? Wanting and thinking go together. And thought is matter, you see. So you use thought to achieve either material or spiritual goals. But unfortunately, we 
place the spiritual ghosts in a higher level and consider ourselves to be very superior to those who use the thought to achieve material goals. So actually, whether you call it spiritual or material, even the so-called spiritual values are materialistic in their values. So it is matter. Thought is matter. And uh, as I said at the very beginning, thought is not a creator of thought. It is responding to the stimuli. In effect, so what is there is only the stimulus and response. Even the fact that there is a response to the stimulus is something which cannot be experienced by us except through the help of thought, which creates a division mm -hmm. between the stimulus and response. Mm -hmm. Actually, the stimulus and response is a unitary moment. You can't even say that there is a sensation and you have no way of experiencing even the so-called sensations we think we uh, experience them all the time cannot be experienced by us except for the knowledge we have of the sensations. Mm -hmm. And will we infer from all of this that there is a self, that there is a mind that is mediating between the stimulus and the response? What is there is only the knowledge we have of the self, the knowledge that we have gathered from or passed on to us from generation to generation. And through the help of this knowledge, we create what we call self and then experience self as separate from the functioning of this body. Mm -hmm. So is there such a thing as a self? Is there such a thing as I? For me, the only I is the first person singular pronoun. I use I to make the conversation simpler and call you you and I. But there is simply what we call I is only a first-person singular pronoun. I don't know if we... It's a part <laughs> of speech. <laughs> yes. Uh -huh. Other than that, is there any such thing as I? Is there any such thing as self? Is there any such entity um, um, different from the functioning of this living organism? Mm -hmm. See, somewhere along the line of evolution, I can't even make a definitive statement and say that there is such a thing as evolution. But we assume and presume that there is such a thing as uh, evolution. And somewhere along the line, the human species experienced this self-consciousness which doesn't exist in the uh, other species we have on this planet. I mean, you seem to be suggesting it's a product of our language. Not necessarily the product of language. You see, the, the, the very experience of uh, what we call, uh, what separates us from the totality of things. The, the problem is, and that is what I want to emphasize, the whole nature is a single unit. You see, man cannot separate himself from the totality of what we call nature. Unfortunately, through the help of this yeah. self-consciousness which occurred somewhere along the line, he accorded to himself a superior place and placed himself on a higher level and treated himself and we still continue to treat as superior to the other species of life that we have on this planet. Mm -hmm. That is the reason why we have created this disharmony. That is why we have created these tremendous problems, ecological problems and other problems. Actually, 
man or whatever you want to call him cannot be separated from the totality of nature. That is where we have um, created one of the greatest blunders and that unfortunately is the tragedy of man. Don't you yourself say at times that there really is no problem, that since we are part of the totality of nature, there nothing really is wrong, even if we're doomed? Uh, no, but we are not ready to accept the fact that there is no problem. Actually, there is no problem, but we have only solutions offered to us, and we accept the solutions offered to us by those um, whom we consider to be in position of the truth, in position of the wisdom, and those solutions do not help us to solve the problems at all, you see. So we replace one solution with another solution. The problem is the solution, and the solution has not helped us to solve the non-existing problem. So actually it is the solution that has created the problem, and we are not ready to throw the solution out of the window. Because we have the, a tremendous confidence in those who have offered these solutions are the things that will free us from the problems that the solution has created for us. What you seem to be saying is that we think that the solution to the problems of the world is that we can use our mind, we can act rationally, we can develop ourselves, we yes. can become enlightened, we can get involved in social programs, and therefore we can solve the problems of the world, yes. which you're suggesting really only exist as problems because we believe we have a solution for them. Yeah, what I'm trying to suggest is that there is no such thing as your mind and my mind. For purposes of convenience and for want of a, a better and more adequate word, I can use the world mind. The world mind is the totality of man's thoughts, feelings and experiences passed on to us. The world mind. World mind. Mm -hmm. And it is that that has created you and me for the sole main purpose of maintaining its status quo, its continuity. That world mind, if I may use that word, is a self-perpetuating one. Mm -hmm. And its only interest is to maintain its continuity. It can maintain its continuity only through the creation of what we call the individual minds, your mind and my mind. So without the help of that knowledge, you have no way of experiencing yourself as an entity. You see, this so-called entity, the I, the self, the soul, the psyche, or whatever word you want to use, is created by that. And through the help of that, you will be able to experience these things. And so what we are caught up is in this vicious circle mm -hmm. that the knowledge gives you the experience and the experience strengthens and fortifies that knowledge. And you seem to be suggesting, if I understand yes. you correctly then, that I'm a body here and a brain and my brain serves as some kind of an antenna. I'm receptive to these thoughts that are coming to me from the world mind and, and they, are, they give me the illusion that I am an individual self, that yes. I have a mind even. Yes, but is it possible for you, let alone the mind or the entity or the I or the self or the soul or whatever you want to call it, to experience your body as a body without the help of that knowledge, you see. For example, you look at your hand mm -hmm. and is this hand yours? First of all, the hand is created by the knowledge you have of that. 
Hmm? Well, what you say reminds me of experiments with people who have been blinded, and then their operations are performed, and they see for the first time, and they don't know anything. They have to be taught to recognize the things that they see. Yes. So without the mediation of the mind, if the mind is not trained somehow to recognize this, you're right, it would all be meaningless. You see, we, the, we have only these senses. Yeah. The sensory perceptions do not say that this is a hand. You see, the knowledge that we have tells us that this is a hand and that this is your hand and not uh, my hand. Otherwise, it's just a patch of color and form. No, you don't even look at this hand. You have no way of looking at it, you see, mm -hmm. except through the knowledge you have of this hand. This knowledge is put into us during the course of our life. When you um, play with a child, you tell, show me your hand, show me your nose, show me your teeth, show me your face, and um, what is your name. This is how we build up, you see, the identity of the individual's uh, relationship with his hand, with his nose, with his eyes, and with the world around, you see. So, do we look at anything? You see, this so-called looking is a blurred experience of yours, but you have no way of looking at anything at all, except through the knowledge. Mm -hmm. So, it is necessary for us to have that knowledge, otherwise, uh, it is not possible for us to function sanely and intelligently. It helps us to function sanely and intelligently, and we have to accept the reality of the world as it is imposed on us. Um, otherwise, we have no way of functioning sanely and intelligently. We will end up in the loony bin singing merry melodies and loony tunes. So it is very essential for us to accept the reality of the world as it is imposed on us by culture, by society, or whatever you want to call it, and leave it at that, and treat it as functional in value, and it cannot help us to experience the reality of anything. But there may be a mind independent of culture, there may be a mind in, independent of, of any knowledge that we have, that which receives that, culture. That is an assumption on our part that there is a mind. As I said before, the totality of your experiences, feelings, thoughts, is there any such thing as a totality of thoughts, feelings, and experiences? We assume that there is a totality of your thoughts, feelings, and experiences. Mm -hmm. Are there thoughts? Even that I question. There are no thoughts. But what is there is only the activity about thoughts. What we call thinking is only a dialectical thinking about thinking itself. We use thoughts, the non-existing thoughts, to achieve a goal to accomplish, attain a goal, whether it is material or spiritual, it really doesn't matter. Mm. So we need this to achieve our goal. So if you don't want a thing, there is no thinking at all. Whether you want this material goal or spiritual goal, or whether you want to be an enlightened man or a god man, or whether you want to run away with the most beautiful girl living next door to you, the society may condemn such a thing, but basically the instrument which you use to achieve your goal and act, you see, uh, to achieve your goal is only through the help of thought. Otherwise, any thought that is born out of that, it creates um, misery for you. Because any thought that is born out of thought is destructive in its nature because it is interested in protecting itself. Thought is a protective mechanism. 
it isolates you from the totality of the nature which cannot be separated from you mm -hmm. so the 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 difficulty uh, here is that it is impossible for you to accept that you are not separate from the totality of things you see yeah. then what you call nature that uh, every form of life you see is also part of this nature and uh, when i use the word nature you see i use in the general sense you see not that i have a special insight into nature that others don't have you you are not separate from the nature the nature means the world around you the all the 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 species that we have on this planet um, are integral part of um, this uh, what we call nature it cannot be separated from that but unfortunately through our thinking we have succeeded in separating ourselves and through the help of this knowledge we continue to maintain the continuity of the knowledge and um, and that is the reason why we have invented all this the integrity becoming one with the nature and all that kind of mm -hmm. a thing and we are not going to succeed because we don't understand and realize what is it that separates you from the totality of things is the thought and the thought cannot be used to bring about an integral unity basically we are all integrally united and unfortunately through our thinking we have separated ourselves and we are acting from this point of separateness and it is this that is responsible for the chaos in your personal life or the chaos in the world around you uh -huh. I'm giving a talk, but... <laughs> well, you've, you've certainly addressed many ideas and stimulated yes. many thoughts in my mind. Yes. Uh, maybe they passed through. Uh, I, I don't know. But let's step back for a moment. You, you seem to have said that all that we know is by virtue of thought, and yet we can't even know thought itself because every time we look at thought, we don't see thought. We just see thoughts about thought. Yes, even the thought we are talking about is created by the knowledge that is given to us. So, the thought is a self-perpetuating mechanism. And when I use the word self, I don't use it in the sense uh, in which we uh, use um, used by the philosophers and metaphysicians. So, like a self-starter. Or auto-perpetuating. Yeah, perpetuation. Mm -hmm. It is not, see, the body is not interested in that at all. The actions of the body or responses to the stimuli, and it has no separate independent existence of its own. So unfortunately, time is the one that has created the beginning and the end, and it is interested in permanence, whereas the functioning of the body is immortal in its own way, because it has no beginning, it has no beginning, it is not born, it, so it has no death, you see. So there is a death to the thought but not to the body. And I don't know if I make myself well, clear. Well, let me try and paraphrase yeah. you. Yeah. You seem to be suggesting a, a, a quite a fabric of many intertwined notions here. And, and one of them is that thought tends to perpetuate itself. itself. So it does not want to come to an end. Mm -hmm. it, the mind wishes, the mind doesn't exist, but even so it wishes to believe it is immortal. It is immortal. You know, it is interested in creating an artificial uh, immortality uh -huh. of an entity, soul, self, or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. It knows in a way that it is coming to an end, somewhere along the line, and its survival 
and its continuity, its status quo depends upon the continuity of the body. But body is not in any way involved with the thought because it has no beginning, it has no end. It is the thought that has created the two points. See, this is the birth and that is the death. So our illusion that we have a mind is born out of fear. Of fear. So we do not want the fear to come to an end because the end of the fear is the end of the thought. If the thought comes to an end, the body drops dead there. You see, what is left after that is something the body does not know. For you, I am alive and dead, I am talking. Not I am alive and not dead, Mm -hmm. because I am responding to your questions. I am answering to your questions, but there is nobody who is talking. There is no you there. There is is nobody who is talking, but there is only talking. Mm It is like a tape recorder, you see, and you are playing with the tape recorder and uh, for your own reasons, and whatever comes out of that is what you want to hear from this tape recorder. Well, you seem to be taking a, a position almost equivalent to that of the physicists who look at matter and they look at atoms and molecules and then particles and beneath particles into quarks, and finally they say there's really nothing there. You see, one of these days, this, uh, the scientists will have to come to the terms that their quest to find out what they call the fundamental particle, they don't realize that the fundamental particle does not exist and they are not ready to accept that. And once they come to terms with that and accept that there is no such thing as a fundamental particle and that there is no such thing as bank, great big bank, whatever they call it, it is an exercise in futility. They will continue to dabble with that. You see, find out answers for that question only for their uh, Nobel Prize. But you you seem to be saying that the body exists, that the brain exists, and that nature exists. But that has no beginning and no end. That's all that I'm emphasizing. Mm -hmm. So since the body is not born, so it has no end. Mm-hmm. Well, I I'm, I don't know when you say the body is not born. That that seems it, to contradict. It my... is the thought that has created the body mm-hmm. and established a point, and says it's born here, and it's going to end there. So it is yeah. the thought that has created the time factor. I mean, but every cell was created from a previous cell, even the egg. We don't know the beginnings of it. You see, so the whole concept of the creator is redundant. Mm. We are caught up in the field of logical thinking and that there is no beginning, that there is no end mm-hmm. uh, is something which shatters the whole fabric, the foundation of our logical thinking. Yes, it does. So we are not ready to accept that at all. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if, if the notion of no beginning and no end, I can see how that might apply to time and space, but not to the body. If, this body you talk as if it is separate from the totality of the universe or totality of nature or whatever you want to call it. Uh-huh. It is the thought that has created the body, a separate entity, and tells that this has a beginning, this has no end. You see, this is, this is the end, that is the beginning. You see, it has created the, the space. So thought creates the space, thought creates the time. Uh-huh. So it cannot conceive of the possibility of anything outside the field of space and thought. Actually, the thought is the one that has created the space and experiences the space, but factually there is no such thing as a space at all. But what is there is space, uh, time, energy, continuum. 
Hmm? It is a continuum. Hmm. But it has no end. You see, the thought cannot conceive the possibility of a movement without a beginning and without a point where it is going to arrive someday, sometime, you see. Mm -hmm. So that is the problem of the thought. So its actions are limited to its perpetuation, its continuity, its permanence. But anything it says about, anything it tries to talk about, deal with or experience the body, it cannot because it's something living, thought is something dead. You, you seem to be saying, if I can summarize your yes. thoughts, that we are trapped in the prison of our own thoughts, and yes. this prison creates the illusion that we are separate, that we are not part of nature, part and yet the nature. prison itself is also an illusion. The, the prison also is created by the thought, mm -hmm. and that is the reason why it is trying to uh, get out of that trap it has created by itself. You know, there is a simile given in one of the, uh, the scriptures in India. The dog picks up uh, a bone, dry bone, there is nothing there. And then it bites, you see. And the bone hurts the gums and the blood comes out of it. And the dog believes, imagines, experiences, feels, whatever word you want to use, that the blood which is coming out of its own gums is from the bone. Mm. So that is the kind of uh, trap in which the, the whole structure of thinking is caught up mm -hmm. and it that's all the time to uh, get out of that, you see, the trap mm -hmm. it has created. That's the human predicament. That is the human uh -huh. predicament. Yuji, yes. thank you very much thank for you. being with me. We're out of time now. All right, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for being with us. Hello and welcome, I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we're going to be examining the concept of enlightenment. Why is it that people throughout the world and almost every religious tradition and cultural tradition pursue the notion of enlightenment? What is enlightenment? Is there such a thing? Is it possible to attain enlightenment? With me today is Mr. Yuji Krishnamurti, a world traveler and author of Mind is a Myth and the Mystique of Enlightenment. Welcome, Yuji. Thank you. you know, People often have referred to you as an enlightened being, and I know you're very uncomfortable with with that. In fact, you told me earlier you're uncomfortable with the concept of being at all. Yes. You see, the, the question arises only in relationship with becoming. 
and enlightenment is uh, also becoming mm -hmm. see so i would go one step further and say that uh, the human mind if i may use that word quote and unquote is interested only in sensual activity you know the the living organism or the human body or whatever you want to call it is only responding to the stimuli it is not interested in pleasure at all see the moment you use thought to experience anything in terms of pleasure it becomes a pain for this body and yet we pursue sensuality and yet find only pain in it but we love pain in other words we love and pain. we enjoy pain uh -huh. and call it pleasure you see the, the 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 human body is not interested in pleasure of any kind it is only interested in maintaining the sensitivity of the nervous system and the sensitivity of the functioning of the body so the moment you say a particular sensation is a pleasurable sensation the demand to make it last longer goes with it so then the demand to make the pleasure last longer turns what we call pleasure into pain and that's a painful sensation to the body the body is trying to be rid of that pleasurable sensation and what we are stuck with is pain it, it almost sounds as if the greater the pleasure then the greater the pain must be we have introduced the degree into that what is called pleasure you see because the thought is always interested in more and more of something and less and less of the other i am not saying anything against pleasure mm -hmm. see the moment you use thought as an instrument to have pleasure we have there created a problem since man has realized since i don't like to use the word man or a human being or uh, in general terms the average man see that man is you and i sitting here so since uh, this demand for permanent happiness is something which cannot be achieved through anything any thinking uh, that is open to us we have projected and created what is called enlightenment god self realization call it by whatever name you like so that is the ultimate pleasure there are stories out of india you've probably heard of of great saints who are supposedly in states of perpetual sexual orgasm <laughs> that is what these gurus are selling in the marketplace today you see even uh, sex is uh something that the body does not care for it's, it's a painful thing and that is necessary for only one purpose to reproduce one like that the living organism is interested only two things it's a survival and then it's a reproduction mm -hmm. so when once the thought is involved in turning sex into pleasure we have created a problem it is the same thought that makes you feel that you see the pleasure you see can be uh, extended uh, uh, into one of degree into into longer and longer time and then you see keep it going and so it is more painful to this body you you almost sound victorian in your approach here i am not i am not victorian this sex is totally unrelated to the question of enlightenment you mm -hmm. see whether uh, it has become fashionable these days for all these people to market sex as the means or the stepping stones uh, to enlightenment but actually and factually the sex is totally unrelated to what is called enlightenment whether you deny yourself sex or indulge in sex it is of no importance 
to what you are searching for. But in a culture where you see the denial of sex is maintained as a sine qua non, or an essential thing for your spiritual goal, unfortunately, the the uh, the gurus in the marketplace who are selling that enlightenment invented this thing called this is tantric experience mm-hmm. and. Uh, Use that as a means to achieve your spiritual goal. Right, it's either tantric here or abstinence there. And what you're saying is... Both are the same. They are totally unrelated to the question of enlightenment. When once you see the the question of enlightenment or the demand for an enlightenment is freed from sex totally either as a means to it or the denial of it as a means to it, we can look at it in a different way and ask the question, is there any such thing as enlightenment at all? We have accepted, taken for granted that there is such a thing as enlightenment, but we never questioned that because when once you question the whole idea of enlightenment, or as you put it, the concept of enlightenment, we are questioning the teachers who have talked about it, and we have invested our tremendous faith in them. So the the sentiment comes into the picture and we accept it as a gospel truth. Well, yes, we have this notion of the great sages of antiquity and in many different cultures have written and talked about higher states of consciousness and enlightenment. That is true, but I am questioning the very consciousness itself. Mm -hmm. Is there any such thing as consciousness? That is my question. So you become conscious of yourself and the world around you only through the help of the knowledge that is given to us by these so-called sages, saints, and saviors of mankind. So is it possible for you to be conscious of anything without the help of that knowledge? So we have to question uh, the very thing that we have taken for granted. We are very naive and to accept it. Uh, And then you see, spend a whole lifetime in search of uh, whatever you want to have it, enlightenment, uh, God-realization, self-realization, it, or what you have. In other words, you, you, it seems as if there's a paradox here, because on the one hand, our consciousness, it seems as if it leads us to question the tradition, the so-called truths that are handed down to us, and you're saying, but without that tradition, without those truths, we would have no consciousness. You know, that is part of the structure of our thinking. Mm-hmm. You see, unfortunately, the thought has divided itself into two, and created, you see, this duality or uh, the neurotic situation for us. The whole culture teaches us that you should not compete. Competition is is, uh, to be eschewed. Ambition is is something which you should not, you see, uh, have. Spiritual teachings tend to say this. Spiritual teachings, yes, always. I mean, uh, demand, certainly in demand, athletics and in demand, capitalism, there's, sorry, there is this sense of Demand that you should be free from ambition, you mm-hmm. should be free from greed, you should be free from this, that, and the other. But at the same time, ambition is absolutely necessary for survival in the society in which we are functioning today. So it is that that has created the neurotic situation for us. We want pleasure, and at the same time we know that the pleasure is giving us pain. So the demand for permanence is the basic demand of thought. It is interested in in permanence. The permanence not of this living organism, but the permanence of the continuity of thought. So the body knows in a way that it is permanent. You see, not in the sense in which we know that this is permanent, that is not permanent. 
but that knowledge is of a peculiar kind that it knows it is permanent. So it is not interested in, in the idea that this is coming to an end one day, you see. So the, the one that is uh, involved in this pleasure movement is the one that is asking the question, what will happen to this living organism when it dies? You see, for the body, there is no such thing as death at all. No. So because it has no way of experiencing the fact that it is alive at this moment and that it is dead after 60, 70, 80 or 100 years at all. Are, are you saying then that uh, the body doesn't die, but what about the spirit? <laughs> that is the belief, this, the, the self, the soul, the spirit and whatever you want to call it is invented by thought. And it is that thought that is responsible for experiencing this, what we call thought, because what you call self, spirit, or soul, or whatever you want to call. I don't want to indulge in the frivolity of uh, the root meaning of the words. You see, you know, the Latin word, spirit is a Latin word. They have to do with breathing, it, generally. It, it means breathing. Mm -hmm. So you have observed, you see, but an individual stop breathing and that condition you described it as death so the fact that you see the breathing stop the, you want to know if there is anything that will continue after death you see it is that mm. that is interested in demanding to know what will survive this condition of the body which is called death yeah i mean i would tend to think that my body will not survive my body will decay but perhaps my ability to experience at some level will survive. But can you experience your body while you are living now? You see, if one wants to know anything about death, he has to find out what is it that is there now and not wait until what we call the death takes place. So you, do you have any way of experiencing the fact that you are alive today? I say no. Oh. You see, the doctor comes and examines you and tells you that this is your blood pressure, this is the temperature for your body, your heart is breathing, your blood pressure, so on and so forth. So you are alive. So you are trying to use that knowledge and experience what you call a living being. But without the help of that knowledge, which is passed on to us by observation of all these doctors, and experience and tell yourself that you are a living being. So when once you are freed from the, the knowledge, you have no way of experiencing that you are alive today and there is no question of experiencing when you are dead. Mm -hmm. I'm giving the talk to you. <laughs> well, Descartes, a great Western philosopher said, I think, therefore I am. And you seem to be suggesting that thinking is, is the opposite of, of living. I think that uh, Descartes, uh, I studied uh, Western philosophy, and uh, he asked the wrong question and uh, answered it in a, in a very funny way. We think, I think, therefore I am. But he never asked the question which you should have asked, the way the Indian philosophers did. Uh, if you don't think, huh, are you there? Uh -huh. So the, the basic question which we have to ask is, what is thinking and why do we think at all? If you don't think, there is still the question there, you see. 
The question is born out of the assumption that there is something there and that is why he has come out with this statement, I think, therefore I am. If you don't think, where is that I am? Mm -hmm. Well, isn't it true that when we talk of enlightenment, the great uh, sages of India have, have said, when you stop thinking, you can enter into this vast ocean of bliss, and, and that's enlightenment. The bliss is, a, <laughs> the bliss or whatever you want to call it, is essential pleasure that we are indulging in. They may have experienced some extraordinary moment, which he described it as a bliss, and tried to share it with us. And that created the problem of us all trying to experience the same thing. So that is the way the knowledge is passed on from generation to generation. That is the way you are also experiencing things. Without knowledge, you have no way of experiencing anything at all. And when once you experience, that experience strengthens and fortifies the knowledge. So this vicious circle goes on and on and on and on. And that structure has no way of breaking through that, you see, vicious circle. Mm -hmm. So we accept that knowledge is necessary for us to experience, and the experience strengthens the knowledge. So um, do we really want, you see, to find out or demand the way out of it, you see. Mm -hmm. Yes. How, is there a way out? <laughs> there is no way out. Because the question is posed by the thought. And by asking this question, the thought knows that it has no answer. So that is the only way it can maintain its continuity. You see, the thought has invented time. The thought has invented what is called space. You see, without the help of the knowledge we have of space and the knowledge we have of time, there is no time, there is no space. The scientists may talk and say anything they like, but they are also saying that there is no such thing as time, there is no such thing as space, there is no such thing as matter, but what is called space-time continuum. Is there a space? I question that. Is there a time? The moment the thought is born, the time is there. So it is that that has invented what is called say, the timeless and pursuing that timeless and it knows that it has no way of putting itself in a timeless state because the thought has to be absent in a so-called timeless state. It is an invention of the time to perpetuate itself within the field of time. Well, it, it sounds like we're trapped. We are trapped in the very demand to get out of the trap is really the problem. Mm -hmm. See, there is no answer to that at all. Well, are you suggesting then that in the, the history of humankind there have never been enlightened persons? No, I'm not uh, for a moment uh, saying that there is no such thing as an enlightened being. We have plenty of them, mm -hmm. you see. But uh, I question the very, uh, the demand to be enlightened. See, as I said at the very beginning, to me, there is no such thing as enlightenment at all. See, the enlightenment is in the future. As I said a while ago, it is the time that has invented the thing in the future. Mm -hmm. The future is always, it puts the enlightenment there. So the enlightenment is part of the knowledge that is passed on to us from these great teachers who claim to be enlightened people. 
and it is the past that is in operation here, projecting into a future, a thing called enlightenment. So, first of all, is there any such thing as the present? I say there is no such thing as present, there is no such thing as now, there is no such thing as the moment here, because if you say this is the moment, this is the present, this is the now, you have already brought into this picture the past. Hmm? In the past I was not enlightened, so I am going to be enlightened tomorrow. But what about now? So am I enlightened or am, am I not enlightened? What is it that tells me that I am enlightened, that I am not enlightened, that I am free and not free? It is the knowledge that tells me that I am not free, that I am not enlightened. So if you are not enlightened now, you are going to be enlightened tomorrow. I don't know if, if I make Well, it, there's here. a paradox here somehow, because it, it, I guess it strikes me that if one is really enlightened, is it, there's a transcending of space and time, so that if, if one is enlightened, it's always there. So you, that, uh, assuming for a moment that there is an enlightened being, yes. he has no way of telling himself that he is an enlightened man, and there is no question of his trying to enlighten others. I mean, as soon as I say, I am enlightened, I've already come back. The knowledge about enlightenment passed on to us from generations tells you that you are an enlightened man. You see? So, then naturally you want to enlighten others. So it is a petty little experience which has become possible for me through the help of this thought, so what I experience and call an enlightenment is a thought-induced experience and not really an enlightenment at all. You mean every description of enlightenment is essentially an illusion? Uh, it's, why, why are we concerned about enlightenment at all? Well, it seems like... A way out. Yeah, what yeah. else is there to do? The, the way out, you see. So you, you, you are putting off the problem to a future date, what I am suggesting is that uh, there are no problems at all. You see, what we are stuck with is the solutions offered to us mm -hmm. by the people who you think and I think are in the know of things, that they have the right solutions for the problems. But those solutions have not helped us to resolve our problems. But somehow we are caught up in this field of time and time is hope, you see. It tells us that by repeating the same thing over and over again, you will be able to solve this problem. So we, these solutions have not helped us to solve the problems at all. We are looking here and there and everywhere to find out somebody who can offer us another solution to solve our problems. Mm -hmm. But what one who is interested to resolve the problem must be ready to brush aside, you see, all the solutions offered by these saints, sages and saviors of mankind in the past and in the present and yet to be unborn. In other words, to truly be free, to truly be enlightened, one has to give up every concept of enlightenment or, or, or every notion of this tradition that we've inherited. You, you are talking as if the concept and you are two different things. Uh -huh. The the demand for enlightenment and you are two different things. So there is no way you can separate yourself from the concepts. Oh. And but you, you just said that's essential to do. 
that is essential to do is is a manner of speaking is a way of putting things it's essential and yet impossible at the same time you are not ready to come to terms that there is no problem here and that you are stuck with all these solutions offered to us by those in whom we have absolute confidence faith and trust and yet they don't work the instrument which we are using is the one that is born out of hope is what you are today uh, is the totality of all your thoughts feelings and experiences mm-hmm. that instrument is the only instrument we have and it is a very powerful instrument that instrument has helped us to achieve whatever we have achieved so far today so we are not ready to discard that instrument and at the same time we know that understanding through the help of that instrument has not helped us to resolve our problems at all and yet we have not given up our confidence tremendous faith in the instrument which we have been using to achieve our results mm-hmm. so that is really the crux of the problem so when once the understanding dawns on you that that is not the instrument which will help you to understand and solve your problems and that there is no other instrument the demand to solve the problems ceases and instantly so there is no such thing as understanding at all how i stumbled into this is is it something which i have no way of knowing this is somehow it dawned on me that the intellect which i have developed through sharpening it you see using it has no way of understanding anything and at the same time the tremendous faith in that instrument is lingered you see that that is the only instrument i do not know of any other instrument that's the only instrument i have and it has not helped me to resolve anything to understand anything and somehow it dawned on me that that is not the instrument and there is no other instrument so that means it knocks off the whole basis of any other way of trying to understand anything so the whole idea of intuition goes down the drain and down the tube why why does intuition go you down see, the drain intuition tubes? is nothing but a refined sensitized thought if i may put it that way yes. so but it is still you see caught up you see in this uh, um, the use of thought to to resolve you see the problems well, wouldn't it be better at least to have refined sensitive thoughts rather than crude unsensitive insensitive well, what thoughts? is the difference the, um, what is the difference between th- a crude thought and a sensitive thought Well in in western tradition in the 18th century we we had a notion of the enlightenment which which meant you know being free of superstition at least being able to see things as they are but are we free from superstition why do we swallow everything that every scientist dishes out every day and so we say it is a scientific but it is not uh, so scientific they are as dogmatic as the religious people uh, of the bygone days mm-hmm. but because what science has given us the technology we invest a tremendous faith you see in the scientists every 4 years you see their theories are changing as i said the other day their interest in uh, trying to find out the fundamental particle is uh, 
research in vain, but they will go on and on and on and on and on. They are not going to give up anyway. Yeah. I mean, the intellectual effort to solve the mystery of the physical universe is in vain. It is in vain because uh, of the fact that the scientist is separating himself from the universe. It is a single unit, you see. The nature and man are not two different things. As I said before, uh, a while ago, or last time, that um, somewhere along, you see, the evolutionary process, this self-consciousness occurred in the human species, you see. But how do you know we're not actually separate? How do you know that the self-consciousness is, is not valid? You know, it is the thought that creates the space, as I said. This mm -hmm. thought is space. So let me give you an example. Okay. We have about is, a minute left. This is in touch with this. Yes. What is it that tells you that this is hard? The knowledge that it is hard yes. is the thought, and the thought creates the space between the two and tells that this is hard. Otherwise, there is no space between the two, and there is no way that the sense of touch can tell you that this is hard and not soft. I mean, even something as basic as the sense of touch, something we take so for granted, is really just another thought process. Another thought process. So thought is a space, thought creates a space, and in that space we function. Mm -hmm. So the space is something which can never, never be experienced by thought. We're, we're trapped in our own thoughts, yeah. and our thoughts can never really even see themselves. It has no way of uh, looking at itself. You see, what you see there, the very question, is there a thought, or the interest, the demand to look at thought, is created by thought. So what you see there is about thought and not thought itself. Yuji Krishnamurti, thank you very much for being with me. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> thank you. And thank you very much for being with us. Welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove with UG Krishnamurti, and we're continuing our discussion on the nature and the mystique of enlightenment. UG, yes. the, the various traditions, particularly from Asia, emphasize meditation as a path to enlightenment, and sometimes it's quite specific. Uh, if you meditate for so many years, you will be enlightened. And, and, you know, there's lineages of enlightened master after enlightened master who followed a, a formula, a recipe, almost, uh, and, and seemed to have been then uh, anointed by their master as, as being enlightened beings. You see, well, all, all that has gone out of my system. Yes. So what I have stumbled into is something extraordinary for me. This is not something that is born out of my thinking. See, I am not uh, uh, putting across a logically a certain premise here. And uh, I'm not thinking at all. There's no thinking involved in what I'm saying. It, it might come as a, a shock to you, if not as a surprise, that there is nobody who is talking here. And this is a, a puppet here. And you are pulling, you see, the, mm -hmm. um, you are the one that is responsible for whatever is coming out of me. 
and so if you ask me questions about hinduism the the techniques of meditation and what they do i have nothing to say on that subject at all uh, i in my own way did everything you see that one is asked that i was asked by my teachers followed everything you see that is there in the book practiced every kind of meditation and got nowhere i discovered that you see it was something in the nature of a violence you see the goal of meditation is peace there is already peace here this is a tremendously peaceful living organism and why in the name of god why in the name of enlightenment i am asked to meditate to reach a goal which i consider to be is a silly goal non existing goal through meditation you see so why am i meditating what is this meditation for that was my question basic question so i discovered that you see the goal of silence placed before me as a goal to be reached through one technique or 100 techniques of meditations it doesn't matter is the very one that is disturbing and destroying the silence that is already there whereas i discovered that you see the silence that was there is something in the nature of a volcano erupting you see so you go and stand before an ocean the roar of ocean you go into a jungle what do you hear see the tremendous you see sound there the you know so that is the silence and through meditation i am creating a dead innate state of mind you see it is the mind that is involved Mm-hmm. in what is called meditation you see so it is interested in creating a peaceful mind we don't realize i am not talking saying anything about what the hindus uh, mean by meditation i am not interested in that you see i am not here expounding the, the cause of hinduism at all you see what i have stumbled into what i have discovered is something extraordinary for me so i don't even accept that there is such a thing as a meditative state at all you see it is uh, all techniques of meditations if i may use a very very crude word is a sort of self abuse you see it gives us you see the feeling that we are putting ourselves into a state of silence into a state of godness what you see so if you if you practice one technique you have if you see one you have seen them all there is no reason why we should take, uh, try 100, 100 different techniques of meditation but the basic question which one which we have to ask ourselves is why do we meditate at all what for it's a very ancient practice it is a, i cannot uh, defend or brush aside the ancient practice i am not interested in that at all you see the there is a, a, a Uh, an idea that is given to us that uh, there is such a thing as peace of mind this is the silent mind that there is a void you see but that you should not be occupied with certain thoughts and you should be preoccupied with another set of thoughts yes. but you are always preoccupied with something or the other at no time so you can say that you are not occupied with something or the other but all your energy is wasted in choosing 
between two thoughts. You see, this thought, I want a peaceful thought, and the other one is a violent thought. And there is an actual battle going on between these two thoughts. And one thought that you say is a peaceful thought, and the other thought is, is a violent thought. So what you are stuck with is a battle, a war between two things. And what you experience uh, and call that a silent mind or the experience of a silent mind is the peace between two wars. And then it starts all over again. Mm -hmm. And you constantly battle with, you see, the idea that, you see, this meditation or that technique of meditation is going to put you into a peaceful state of mind. Mm -hmm. So there is no such thing as a State, peaceful state of but, mind. So the idea of peacefulness may be the illusion you described. No, it is, is the mind that has mm -hmm. that is responsible for the disturbance that is there, and it has invented you see something called a, a silent mind and battles with that. You see. That's all that is there. Well, you've attained this insight that you're describing to me, and yet you say you practiced meditation for many, many years, and this practice of meditation had nothing to do with your own insights. What I, I would go one step further and say that what I have stumbled into is something that has happened despite everything I did. And how I have stumbled into is something which I have no way of finding out for myself. So it is not the techniques of meditation, it is not the denial of sex, it is not a practice of control of breath, you see. This is a, this is a simple uh, trick that we play with, you see, what you call breath control. Yes. When you carefully uh, look at, you see, you have no way of looking at it, you have no way of seeing, you have no way of observing, uh, you see, that is really the problem. See, we we are caught up in this idea that there is a, somehow, there is a, some way that you can observe, that you can look at, you see, and see, you see. But there is no way you can separate yourself from the breath, you see. So, you want to separate yourself from breath and be aware of your breathing and watch it and what for. You are not conscious or aware of the fact that you are breathing at this moment. And why do you want to be conscious or aware of breathing? And what for to achieve a certain goal? What you are actually doing is cutting out the flow of oxygen to the brain. And that gives you all kinds of very peculiar experiences and you dub them as spiritual experiences. So when once you experience something, the mechanism of experiencing structure is that it always demands more and more of the same yes. and less and less of the other. Well, we seem very hungry for spiritual experiences, as if we have to collect them, like trying the newest drug or the latest guru or the latest tantric method. Or... It is no different from the way we collect millions. It's no way different from, you see, the way we acquire knowledge. So, you see, in a uh, area where tremendous importance is given to spiritual experiences and not sensual experiences, you uh, can, you see, sell this to somebody else. You see, I have all these spiritual experiences, you don't have, so I am superior to you. That is all that is there uh, in this talk about the spiritual experiences. I know, you don't know. You see, So, I am questioning the very uh, the foundation of knowledge, you see, knowledge, there is no such thing as knowledge for the sake of knowledge.
knowledge is power. I know, you do not know. I am a free man, you are not a free man. So I have no way of knowing that I am a free man. See, if I tell myself that I am a free man, it is the knowledge that is passed on to me that tells me that you are a free man. You see, you know, I have no way of knowing that I am a free man. So when once you are freed from the knowledge of all this freedom business, enlightenment business, the peace of mind business, you are no longer interested in finding out whether you are peaceful or not peaceful, whether there is a silence or there is no silence at all. Let me shift like a, a little bit with you. There, those who describe uh, the path uh, towards enlightenment as bhakti yoga, the path of the heart, opening up, loving. <laughs> Sometimes they seem like they get a little bit gushy, but it, it, it seems to me it's that, emotion. It's uh -huh. emotion. You see, the other day I was telling my friend, what part do tears play? The tears are there only to lubricate the eyes. They have no other part to play. So emotionally, so you involve yourself and the eyes become dry. And then the nature has this, you see, facility to lubricate it in its own way. So that you call those tears, tears of joy. Yeah. But the tears are provided by this organism to protect itself, to protect its eyes. So it is lubricating the eyes. So they are not tears of joy at all. So when once you see, you think that this uh, a man of great devotion is emotionally, you see, involved, you see, in this, uh, the joy, you see, of um, whatever uh, he wants to call it, the eyes are drying up and then, you see, the nature is its own way of lubricating and protecting itself. And that, you say, it is tears of joy. But let's move beneath the sentimentality of it and to talk about, for example, human communication. Uh, yes. Being able, for example, to recognize oneself in another human being. Do we really do that? Is it possible for us to establish any relationship? The, the relationship that we establish with the other humans, human beings, is on the basis of what do I get out of that relationship. You see, so mutual gratification is the foundation or the basis of all relationships, you see. So you are not satisfied with the, the reality of the situation. It is so horrible for you to think that the basis on which you have established relationship with you, the other human beings, as you put it, is so sordid that you have to superimpose on that and call it, it is love, you see. So love implies two. Mm. And see, loving thy neighbor as thyself is, is, is so ridiculous, so absurd. In the name of loving thy neighbor as thyself, we have created so much of horror, so much of destruction so much of killing, you see, in the name of life thy neighbor as thyself. So are you totally cynical then about love? A cynic is at least, you see, is sure that his feet are very firmly fixed on the ground. And it is the way out, you see, the, the cop out for the other man to call me a cynic because he doesn't want to accept the fact that really there is no love between these two individuals. What do I get out of this relationship if that is denied 
you will be surprised what is there in the place of what you call love is hate if not hate it is apathy indifference towards the other individual well, you so what i am trying to mm-hmm. say is that it is just impossible to establish a relationship on any basis there is no need for any relationship at all the only relationships we have is in the basis what do i get out of this relationship who wants relationship a person who is lonely who is lost he wants to fill his emptiness he wants to fill his void and he uses some other individual to help him to fill this void and he uses this fine um, word called love but aren't we all ultimately in that predicament we all are in that predicament where you are not honest enough to admit that we use some other individual to fill this emptiness to fill this void and to fill this loneliness so we are using other individuals and put this fancy label it is a loving relationship and you may call me a cynic you see it's all right with me but that is the reality of the situation so anything that is born out of this relationship is violence Well I I wouldn't necessarily want to deny that what you describe as the sordid foundation of relationships but surely they don't just stop at the foundation I I would think surely there are the heights to which it relationships can aspire and even if it's an unattainable height it may be worth aspiring so towards So we live in that hope and die in that hope <laughs> Why is it not possible for us to love the other individual here and now at this moment why does it have to be tomorrow you see tomorrow means you see you are pushing what you can do today that's why i say you people call me a cynic people call me a pessimist people call me a nihilist people call me this that and the other and what they do not real i'm not blaming them i'm just pointing out that when they use these terms as a cop out they use this to when they use this i point out that it is what you believe is the solution for your problems is the one that is responsible for your frustration what i am suggesting is a very positive thing here and you call this a negative thing because you want this action to occur only there and not now i don't know if if i make myself clear you see you are only interested in all actions to happen only in the future and not now so you are not acting at all you see the action has got to be now and why is it not possible for us to be kind to be honest to be loving to be whatever you want to be now and why does it have to be tomorrow or you see day after tomorrow why is my question mm-hmm. see you are pushing it off something that you can do now and you don't want to act now you see that action is something which will destroy this sordid relationship you have i'm not uh, saying that you means you uh, but i'm here with you right now yes that we establish you see this sordid relationship and cover it up by saying that's a loving relationship this brotherly relationship this that and the other the action implies freeing yourself from this sordid reality huh and create you see if there is any other relationship possible outside of the field of whatever you call love brotherhood understanding and so on. that is too much for us
so it is very convenient for us not to act not to act. action means this relationship comes to an end what will be in its place is something you will not know i will not know nobody knows earlier you, you told me that that there was nobody there nobody here there's just words all words 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 uh -huh. <laughs> are you ready to accept that i have a hard time i think i'm talking <laughs> to a human being <laughs> <laughs> see i don't know if there is anybody who is talking you see what is it that i'm saying you see uh, i have to bring this um, the functioning of the body your body my body everybody's body into the present context see the senses are all independent hmm? there is no coordination except when there is a need for cooperation and that cooperation between 1 2 3 or all the five senses is decided by the situation in which you find yourself and the situation demands the coordination of one two three are all the senses mm -hmm. and so they are all independent ones what i am trying to emphasize now and always and put across is that this body is only interested you see in response to the stimuli mm -hmm. the statement that this is responding to the stimulus is also a questionable thing because you have no way of experiencing except through the help of the knowledge that is given to us that this particular response is the response to a particular sensation otherwise the the response to the stimulus and the stimulus and the response to that stimulus is a unitary movement and you have no way of separating mm -hmm. So as a matter of fact the eyes are looking at one thing the the listening mechanism is listening to something and the sense of touch is is involved in the sense of touch so all these are all independent activities there is no way that you can create the totality of your body here and sit here and experience the totality of the body what you experience there and tell yourself and tell me as the totality of your body is born out of your imagination you see so if you want to experience your body here the only way you can experience it is through the help of the sensory activity the eyes are looking at it the the sense of looking does not tell me that you see it is you see a body and that it is mr dr mishlof that is sitting there it does not say anything is about your body except that it is reflecting the body on the retina yes the light that falls on you activates these optic nerves and the optic nerves throw the image on the retina and it does not say that it is a man that it is a human being that it is dr mishlof it doesn't say anything except the reflection of the object on the retina mm -hmm. and in this process the activity of the optic nerves also activate the neurons there in your brain which we call memory and tells you that you see that you are a man and not a woman that you are a human being and not an animal and so on and so forth 
but these perceptions are so quick that there is no need for the memory to come into operation and capture it and say that you are a man. I don't know if you make me sense. Well, I, I don't know if you're describing an organic process or a mechanical process. Here. I'm only talking, describing the organic process, which is not different from the mechanical process. We are not ready to accept the fact that that is only a robot there, a mechanical thing, a computer with an extraordinary intelligence of its own, and the acquired intellect which we are so proud of is no match to that. So as I as But I even said, the idea of a computer or a robot is also just a thought, just an idea. For us it is, but I have to use the word computer to give you a feel about, you see, uh, the idea that we have that there is a something more than, you see, there, there is a spirit, there is a soul, there is a psyche, that there is a mind and so on and so forth. You're, what you're doing in effect is denying that there is that there is a spiritual nature. I, uh, this is an invention of thought. Uh -huh. see, the thought well, within the realm of thought then. In the realm of thought, um, the, the thought has created the materialistic values and spiritual values. Mm -hmm. That thought is the the creation of what uh, society, culture, or whatever you. Well, want. you may. S would it be fair All to right. say then our spiritual nature does exist within the realm of thought? What I am suggesting is that the spiritual goal, and the demand to achieve your spiritual goals are also materialistic in their nature. Yes. Because the instrument which you are using is thought, which is matter. You see, so. You just say that it is a spiritual goal and that um, spiritual values are higher than the materialistic goals and the materialistic values, but the instrument which you are using to achieve your spiritual goals are also materialistic in their nature. Well, it's, I would think it's debatable whether thought is matter. I don't so, really know. But. See, but, uh, it is debatable when you... Uh, Consider thought or think of thought as, as uh, a thought, you see, you see, as matter or not matter. But is there a thought? The question itself is absurd and ridiculous because of the assumption or we assume that there is such a thing as thought. So if you want to find out for yourself and by yourself, is there a thought? The question itself is absurd because of the assumption that there is such a thought. And what you find is all about thought, but not thought. See, I don't know if I make myself clear. Well, that's a very subtle thought. <laughs> yeah. You see, you have to do that with me, you <laughs> see. All right, you see. Do you think that there is a thought there? What is there is only the question, do you think? But isn't is that a, a thought? That all that's there, but there is no other thought other than this question. Mm -hmm. Is there a thought or do you think that there is a thought? Thought is this, thought is that, thought is not this, thought is matter, thought is not matter, thought is space, thought is not space, thought is time, not time. Yeah. That's all. We can indulge in this frivolity of arguing and debating for hours and hours and hours, but we don't get anywhere because what we are indulging in is nothing but a dialectical thinking about thinking itself. Well, what you're And this helps us yeah. to sharpen that instrument yes. and carry on this discussion on and on and on and on. Well, is it like masturbation? <laughs> I used a very refined word, a dialectical thinking about thinking itself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you want to use that word, I'm ready to go along with it. <laughs>
Be, be, you seem to be suggesting that it doesn't. We we get nowhere. It's like a dog chasing its tail. Its own tail. Its own tail. T S L. Or I would put it in a different way. You are trying to overtake your own shadow, huh? but mm-hmm. you really don't know, or don't realize, don't want to know, and ask this question: What is it that is casting the shadow? It's the light there. Without that, there is no shadow there. So instead of questioning the shadow itself, the materiality of the shadow, for some reason you want to overtake the shadow. You are not going to succeed. Well, let's yeah. let's talk more about the light. <laughs> the the light. Uh, when I use the word light, I don't mean any divine light or spiritual light. The light that is there. Without that light, I see nothing here. Mm-hmm. If I see anything, it is only the product of my imagination. Mm-hmm. So, to be able to see you, I need the light. You see, so uh, the thought is not is a self-generated one. It is generated by the stimulus of that light. You see, so that light stimulates, as I said a while ago, and brings the thought into operation and tells me that you see that is a camera, and that you are a man. That's a cord, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. This is a microphone. So, uh, what is so marvelous about, you see, this naming and uh, recognition, that's all that we are indulging in, Mm -hmm. the frivolity of naming and recognizing things. So, if you do not know a thing about what is going on outside and what is going on inside, you as you know yourself, you as you experience yourself, is coming to an end. That is the situation which you are not ready to face up to. So you keep on this dialogue with yourself, the communication with yourself, and tell yourself all the time that I am this, that I am not that, that I am happy, that I am not unhappy, that I am bored, that I am not bored, and so on and so forth. But actually there is no difference between the outside and the inside. Mm -hmm. So why do you have to constantly carry on this dialogue, this conversation with yourself, well, the, to the, maintain the continuity yeah, of your thought. As, rather than to face annihilation. We, you are projecting a situation called annihilation. There may not be any annihilation at all, because when once the thought is not there, when once you are not there, you the product of uh, all the experiences and thoughts, when you are not there, you are no way of finding out what you are left with, and you wouldn't call it an annihilation at all. You are not there anymore, so you have no separate, independent mm-hmm. existence of your own. So you are part of the totality of things. You are you and the nature is one single unit. Now, Yuji, you seem to be suggesting that there's just a little hair, maybe, separating all of us from enlightenment, and that hair is our fear of annihilation. The the fear you are talking about, have you ever experienced fear? At any time. Because, you see, uh, what is fear after all? Where is that fear? What is fear? Well, the fear of something coming to an end. Yeah. The fear of you as you know yourself, you as you experience yourself, coming to an end. So you do not want the fear to come to an end. If the fear comes to an end, 
he will drop dead here. Physical, clinical death will take place here. It is not in your interest to ask, demand the fear to come to an end. So you play with that, you see, fear. Mm -hmm. So you uh, don't condemn it. Don't identify yourself with fear. Don't do this, you see. You become one with the fear. You become choicelessly aware. You live with the fear, you see. All these techniques, all the therapeutic uh, uh, cults that have um, come into the marketplace, each one trying to sell his own particular uh, theory, is only perpetuating the fear and not trying to help you to free yourself from fear because it is something which you do not want to free yourself from. And it is not in your interest that the fear should come to an end. So you do not want the fear to come to an end. Do you experience fear? No, the fear, there is nothing there to come to an end at all. Probably if you see a cobra there, I'm not an innocent child, you see, you step back. Mm -hmm. So then you see, the, the fear that you see, the, it will kill you or it will come some, kill somebody else is absent there. Mm. Then you take a walk with the cobra and sing songs with the cobra and you will be surprised what a delightful creation, what a marvelous piece of creation that cobra is. And you will never hurt that because hurting that is hurting yourself. Killing that cobra is killing yourself. And what gives you this situation where you are so ruthless and wipe out all these living organisms is the idea that you are superior and that the whole thing is created for your use and that is why we have created this problem in this world. Mm -hmm. you were, I'm talking all the time. Well, India. you were quoted once in a uh, magazine article in, yes. in India as saying that you thought perhaps a cabbage was more alive than a human being. <laughs> you see, do you know that you are alive? I as believe long I do, as you yes. have a knowledge uh -huh. of that, you have no way of experiencing the living quality of that. Not that I know or that I experience, mm -hmm. that I am a superior being. The demand to experience something living is impossible for the dead structure. The thought is dead. It is not a living thing. What gives you the illusion is that, you see, we are trying to invest thought with life. And we imagine that it is a living thing, but actually it is a dead thing, you see. It thought is, about is thought dead. Is dead. So a dead thing cannot capture something living. If by accident you step on a live wire, you are dead, you are finished. You see, only by accident you can step on, you see, touch life at a point where nobody touched before. And, and so you see, the, then from that moment onwards, what is living there expresses itself without the use of thought. So in that sense, I say, you will be more useful to nature dead than alive. Because you are living in the world of ideas, you are living in the world of thoughts, you are putting uh, ideas into your stomach and you are wearing uh, names. So you are not living at all. You it, see. It's as if you're, you're saying that our ideas are like our clothing, like our hair or our fingernails. They're yes. not living tissue. Now they, they are not living at all. They are all dead ideas passed on to by somebody who has come out with this. Um, fantasies and ideas. Mm -hmm. You know, I watch many of your commercials here. I'm not plugging in any particular thing, but it is something extraordinary. See, something extraordinary because I, they cannot sell anything to me, you know, but I'm not interested in the products they are selling, but the way they are selling. 
This is something extraordinary. I'm always fascinated by these commercials and not by the programs. Mm -hmm. They put me to sleep. So I become awake when I see a commercial. I never buy anything that they are selling. See, if they had you see, viewers like me, you see, clients like me, they would be out of business. But you see here, there is one who is admiring the way they are selling, you see, yes. the products. That always fascinates me. Because of what? Why does that fascinate the, you? The, the sales speech, the sales talk, you mm -hmm. see. Now, they have all taken over the, the religious uh, teachers. You see, they were selling all these products to us. Now, uh, Madison Avenue has taken over. I'm not plugging in for Madison Avenue at all, you see. They do a better job than all these holy men who are selling us a shoddy piece of spiritual goods. Well, do you think there are any holy men, any saints, any teachers anywhere worth listening to? I wouldn't go to anybody because I do not want anything from anybody. So if there is any other holy man, it's not my concern, it is not my interest mm -hmm. at all. Well, what about the notion of spiritual... I'm not interested in freeing mm -hmm. anybody from anybody. You see, you know, what they are interested in is some sort of a drug to put them to sleep. I am mm -hmm. telling them all the time, look here, you are awake. This awakeness is something which you do not want. So you want to put yourself to sleep. And so all these techniques of meditation, the techniques of yoga, the techniques of breathing, God knows uh, how many techniques um, the people in this country have uh, come up with. They are all putting you to sleep because why you don't want to stay awake? You are already awake. So the whole idea of uh, um, uh, bringing about this awakeness in you is, is so, so funny and so foolish and so idiotic that we all fall for this and buy all those things and try to awaken ourselves. Actually, we are putting ourselves to sleep because this awakeness is something that we don't want. Eugene, in my lifetime, I grew up in a small town in the middle of uh, the Midwest of the United States. And I had a feeling then, in, in my youth, that there was a slumber there, that people were locked into their attitudes and into their values and into their lifestyle, and that I needed to, to leave. Where did you get all those things from? They brainwashed us. They made us to believe that, you see. We have been fed on that kind of a bunk for centuries. If the diet were to be changed, we would all die of starvation. So you are only replacing those things, you see, with something from outside. That is what I am not opposed to. That what irks me is, why do you have to import all these things from outside? If religion is all that you are interested in, what is it that you don't find in your Bible? What is it that you don't find in your Talmud? Why do you have to import all those people from outside who are selling you some shoddy piece of spiritual goods? What is wrong with your hymns? I am not for a moment saying go back to Christ or back to your church or any such thing. There is no question of going back, you see. So anybody who says revive, go back, is one who cannot offer us anything new, okay. you see. You know, you see all the old people in our families, they always talk about their past because they have no future to think about or talk about. They always talk about the past. Any nation, any individual, any teacher who wants to revive the dead past is already dead because he has nothing new to offer. Why do we have to go back? Why do you make it impossible for you, 
for somebody something new to come up there and see somebody asked me a question all these youth young people are lost they don't know what to do with yours you have made a mess of your life already and you are going to pass on what has not helped you to the younger generation if they make a mess of the world let them make a mess of the world they are going to learn it is their world you tell everybody we are all here we are interested the world is the future for the future generations they don't let this future generations living here now to have a say in these matters it is for them to decide their future and we have nothing to do with it what has not helped us is not going to help anybody all the lies all the beliefs they have not helped us why want to pass them on to them if they make a mess of the whole world you see let them make a mess of the whole world we have made a mess of the whole world mm-hmm. we are we have no reason to be proud mm-hmm. of what we have created you, you, you're not a politician but <laughs> <laughs> let, let me I'm just you shift times. a little bit you all right we go back you know you, know, you are an enigma uh, you've you've been described uh, as a guru. You deny it. You've been described as a philosopher. You deny that. Uh, people want to attribute the qualities of enlightenment to you. You deny that. But one characteristic which you have accepted is that you're a world traveler. <laughs> you haven't I, denied that. That I haven't denied. I don't know. It is not because I'm restless or anything. Uh, ever since I was 14. I have never lived in any place for 6 months at a stretch. I have seen practically every part of the globe except uh, some Pacific and Caribbean islands and China. But uh, I, there was a time when I wanted to tell myself, you see, I have been there, please don't talk about it. Uh, your visits to the, the Greece or the the glory of the Greece and the grandeur of the Rome, the splendor of this country. I have also been there. I spent only Three hours in the pyramids there. That was enough for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can tell myself and tell others. I have been there. Mm-hmm. So I have never been interested in any anything past anything dead. So that that was my problem. I was hungering, wanting to find out for myself and by myself. See this, the question of enlightenment obsessed me. If I may use that word, mm-hmm. nothing else interested me. I was lucky enough uh, to be born into a very wealthy family. I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth and so many silver spoons came along my way. So that made it easy for me to pursue. Uh, and and I tried so hard. I I looked everywhere. Nobody satisfied me. See, nobody satisfied my hunger to find out the answer. Is there any such thing? as uh, enlightenment was buddha an enlightened man is that man who claims to be an enlightened man is is an enlightened what is it that he has i don't have whatever he is telling me is false and it is falsifying me be selfless what the hell do you want me to be selfless i am a selfish being to the very core of being and you want me to be selfless you see it is that you see the idea of selflessness that has turned me into a selfless man you are telling me that i should be free from anger why should i be free from anger anger is a tremendous outburst of energy you are not dealing with the anger there you are not dealing with pleasure you are not dealing anything that you see that is happening there inside of me i am interested this in finding out whatever is there inside of me cannot be false whatever you are telling me is false mm-hmm. but somehow i didn't have the certainty to brush the whole thing aside maybe 
that fellow knows what he is talking about. Maybe he has something which I don't have. Nothing satisfied my hunger, you see. So then they you see they give you a small piece of bread, you see, and then the the brown bread, you see, the stone ground bread. Nothing satisfied me. So what happened? The hunger burnt itself out. You see, the the freedom that I wanted, you see, the, the very demand to be free is not there anymore for me. It's not that I have found the answer for that. You see, there is no self to realize. I have spent 49 years of my life searching for the self. It is not there one day, so they can all go. You see, now the certainty that I have, all that is false. It is. It does not mean that I feel superior and place myself on a higher pedestal and can tell myself you are the most superior of all. That I, not for a moment. That is false, and I do not want that to falsify me. This certainty I have stumbled into. Is something which cannot be transmitted to somebody. You say you stumbled into it, and you say it has nothing to do with this intense search. Nothing, nothing. You see, the intensity is an emotional thing. The the insights I had uh, through these encounters with others strengthened and fortified the very thing that I was trying to free myself from. It did not help me anyway. So nothing I did helped me. So I have to use the word stumbled into because I don't know how I. Uh, this dawned on me that there is nothing to understand. You see, that is not the instrument, and there is no other instrument. There is nothing to understand. Well, would you have done just as well to have remained in, that in is the a small village? That is, that is yeah. a hypothetical question. You see, uh, I must admit that my contact with the West opened, you see, great horizons for me. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I studied both Eastern and Western philosophies thoroughly for my master's degree and psychology. But nothing helped me because this question, the basic question, is there any such thing as mind? Why you are talking of silent mind? Why you are talking of uh, the mutation of mind? There is no such thing as mutation of mind. There is nothing there to be transformed. There is nothing there to be changed. So why this talk of transformation, radical or otherwise? All that is absolute gibberish, absolute rubbish, poppycock. But yet you see, I lack this certainty. So, how I stumbled into it, how it happened, why it happened, when it happened, has anything happened to me? I really don't know. So, whatever I am trying to put across is all an expression of what I stumbled into. So I can't sit here and give a talk, you see, on the same subject like anybody else. Mm-hmm. So I go one step further and say that you see, despite everything, whatever happened to me happened. Happened to me, and it is possible for a rapist, a murderer, a con man, thief man to stumble into this kind of a thing. More than you see, all those spiritual aspirants put together. It seems very ironic. <laughs> ironic, but nevertheless, the fact does remain so. Uh-huh. So, in a sense, anybody who might be viewing this program right now with the idea that they're going to get anything out of it whatsoever to help them along in the path of enlightenment. So, is- if they are interested in solving their personal problems, there are umpteen number of techniques they have to go there. So, this is something which cannot be used to solve the day-to-day problems. You see, so I have no illusions that this will be 
or it can be of any help to anybody to solve their day-to-day problems. Because mm-hmm. they are not really interested in solving the problems. They are not interested in, in freeing themselves from fear. See, you know. So all these techniques, be one with fear, live with fear, accept fear, be choicelessly aware of fear. This is all, you see, taking you away from the fact of facing up to the situation that there is no way you can free yourself from fear. I'm not for a moment suggesting that you should live with fear. What is there, what you call you, is born out of fear. It thrives in fear. It lives in fear. So it cannot voluntarily liquidate itself, free itself from fear. So it has no solutions for the day-to-day problems of the people. It has no solution for the problems of the world. It has no social context. But you know, it just seems as if the pattern of your life, as I look at it, does fit perhaps a classical pattern. And, and it's the pattern of struggling, of agonizing, of really pushing yourself on the path and reaching a point of despair, of frustration, and then giving up, then letting go. No, you see, the despair is the solution. You see, we are not dealing with the despair at all. So we are not dealing with anger. We are not dealing with greed. There is no point in giving discourses on greed or how to be free from greed or how to be free from pleasure, how to be free from despair. Because despair is something which you cannot separate yourself from. You are dealing with how to be free from despair, Mm -hmm. but not despair itself, you see. So the answer to your despair is in despair itself and not in how to be free from despair. So you are only thinking about despair and not doing anything with it. That applies to all the things that we are trying to be free from. In other words, rather than vainly seeking for enlightenment or seeking for love or, or seeking for all of these beautiful concepts that we have, you're suggesting that we just grab reality by the teeth, so to speak, in all of its sordidness and it is not a question of act grabbing it it's not a question of capturing it containing it and giving expression to it but that reality that is already there has to express itself in its own way how it will express itself you wouldn't know i wouldn't know Mm -hmm. there is nothing to be done about it whatever we are doing is the one that is preventing something living that is there to express itself in its own way. So no two human individuals, no two human beings are the same. The culture is interested in fitting everybody into a common mold. You see, if you look at the leaves, you see, I was a student of botany. I studied the leaves, you see, in a microscope. No two leaves are the same. No two human beings are the same. Now they are doing tremendous amount of research. Now they are beginning to realize their motivation is to track down criminals, not to understand the functioning of the human body. They know now in a way, you see, that no two human bodies are the same. Your hair, you see, if it is um, dissolved into its constituent elements, you will be surprised that your hair is quite different from my hair. And now they have come out with, you see, the with a peculiar statement that women have more gold in the hair than men. More gold. More gold than men. I don't know. But I can't make any definitive statements about it. No two human bodies are the same. No two human individuals are the same. The demand of the culture, the society, or whatever you want to call it, to fit all of them in a common mold and produce, you see, the same kind of people is not going to succeed in the long run. Probably we may not... Uh, 
live long to achieve our goals. Who knows? I don't know. So and this is, must be one of the dangers then of spiritual traditions. It is not that that will help us. Uh, say, uh, what will help us to live together peacefully is a terror. Not love thyself, selfless. Thyself, because if you try to destroy your enemy, you will go with him. If you hurt your enemy physically, it will hurt you. Not psychologically, not emotionally, not romantically, not poetically. If you step on the toes of somebody, you see, he is going to step on your toes. That we have, in a way, understood in the international field, in relationship with the superpowers. You see, you can no longer talk in terms of massive retaliation. You have to live with your adversaries, you have to live with your uh, enemies, you have to live with, you see, the one who is trying, you see, to hurt you, but then probably we will understand that, you see, if you try to destroy your neighbor, you are going to destroy yourself. Maybe that will help us to live together in peace, but not love thy neighbor as thyself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm giving a talk. Well, you sound sort of like the 18th century British philosophers like John Locke and, and Thomas Hobbes, who, who talked about the social contract and humanity as being a leviathan, a dragon inside, and, and that we had to face this, this sort of evil quality. You are talking as if humanity is out there. Mm -hmm. You see, the, the demand for permanence of society, humanity, is the demand for permanence here. What I am saying is that there is no such thing as permanence. The demand for permanence is the cause of man's misery. The demand for permanence in relationship, the demand for permanence of happiness, the demand for permanent pleasure is the cause of man's misery. So since you know in a way that you, as you know yourself, and you, as you experience yourself, is coming to an end, you see, as an idea, mm -hmm. you know that one day you are going to die, but not as a fact, you see, not as a reality, but as you see, an idea that you are also going to die like, you see, all those who died before. Mm -hmm. So you project the demand for permanence on mankind, that mankind must be permanent, must be there, and you should do everything possible to see that humanity survives. That is born out of the demand for permanence. So we are not going to succeed in the long run because there is no such thing as permanence in any relationships, in any demands that we are interested in maintaining the permanence. Eugene, we, we, we have only about five minutes left. Right. But you I, sum it up. I don't want to do that yet. I Why want not? I want to get into something a little more personal, something right. that you, you told me once about yourself, that you had experienced physical death. You see, yesterday there was one lady who visited me and asked me a question. I want to live in this moment passionately. That was her question. Yes. I said, you have to be dead now. <laughs> you see? You can't live unless you go through this process, not dying to your poetic, romantic yesterdays or psychological death, but the totality of man's thoughts, experiences, and feelings that are passed on to us from generation to generation. Then what is left there begins to express itself. From that moment onward, you have no existence of your own separate, independent, existence of your own at all. So you are part 
of the totality of things, you see. From then on, this is a single unit, the nature and you are not separate. But when I make such statements, it is not that I, myself can experience, you can't experience the, the, the totality or the singleness of nature and you, but the demand to experience is not there anymore. So in other words, there is no such thing as death at all. What is there is the fear of something coming to an end. What is it that will come to an end? The fear of something coming to an end. What is there that will come to an end? There is nothing there. There is no entity there now. So what do you think will come to an end? The demand to maintain, the demand for permanence of something that is not there coming to an end can be described as death, you see. The condition of the body. Huh? We use the word and call it a dead body because it is not responding to the stimuli the way we think the living body is responding to the stimuli. But you yourself do not know that you are responding to the stimuli. You say that I am talking, that I am yeah. full of animation, that I am coming out with all these concepts. I have no way of knowing whether I am saying anything here. What is all this noise coming out? It's just a noise. Huh? You seem to make some sense out of it. And it is good. Otherwise, we can't function sanely and intelligently in this world. We have to accept the reality of uh, things as, it is, as they are imposed on us. Otherwise, we will all end up in a loony bin singing loony tunes and merry melodies. We have to accept the reality of the world as functional in their value. But the moment you try to understand the reality of anything, let alone the ultimate reality, you are lost forever. Well, you seem to be suggesting a, a pragmatic approach to life and, and letting go of these philosophical abstractions, except as, as, as games for the sharpening of the intellect. That's all that uh, is the part that philosophy plays in our life, to sharpen that instrument, you see. So you are not interested in accepting the fact that there is no foundation for your logical thinking. There is no foundation for your rationality. Whoever said that man is a rational being deluded himself and deluded us all. Our actions do not show any rationality, any logicality in our function. I don't know if there is any such word as logicality. We don't see logic in our lives. We don't see that our lives are run on logic. Well, Yuji, <laughs> we're just about out of time, and I'm in the paradoxical position of, of saying how much I've enjoyed being with you. And in a sense, I, I say that, and I know that you probably, you, you may be thinking to yourself, there's nothing to enjoy. No, <laughs> I'll just tell you, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> okay. And thank you thank for you. being with thank me. You. Thank you. I don't know, we talked a lot. <laughs> really, what, if you put it on paper, or if you try to listen to that, it won't make any sense. It's my idea, not idea, the, if there is a purpose or if there is uh, any motivation in these dialogues, uh, it is only to leave the other individual with this enigma, with the paradox. And he has to resolve the problem for himself and by himself. Thank you for sharing the paradox with us.